Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazenga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail, or as we like to say, Ann, the media organization that focuses on tomorrow, today. And today, we have a real special treat. Manhattan, Google Cloud, Zebra Technologies, and Incisive have all completed an exhaustive benchmark of specialty retailers to determine what makes a unified commerce leader. And here to discuss the findings and uncover what differentiates a retail leader from a non-leader are Ann Ruxtel, the Senior VP and CMO at Manhattan, Amy Eshelman, the Managing Director of Retail at Google Cloud, and Rob Armstrong, the CMO at Zebra Technologies. Welcome all of you to OmniTalk. It is great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, I want to get started first, and I'm going to go to you. Fill us in a little bit. Tell us about the benchmark. Like, what inspired it? What went into it? Just kind of set the table for us and for the audience. Oh, happy to. So the whole thing started with this simple definition called unified commerce. So I would say if we talk to 10 retailers today and say, define unified commerce, yeah, you will most likely get 10 different answers. Absolutely. So this research was inspired that we think the industry could use, honestly, an objective and comprehensive definition of unified commerce. What does it mean? What does it take to be a leader? And what tangible business benefit do you gain by being a leader? So if I may, the nerdy and classic definition of unified yes. commerce Give it to basically us. says, okay, know your customer. They're coming from your store. They're coming from your e-commerce site, email, social, text. You should have all of that unified, right? How you deal with the customers. So you deliver a great and consistent customer experience. So that's where we began. So we're trying to figure out what capabilities do retailers need to have and then measure the outcome based on how well they do this. So we are about to show you the industry first unified commerce benchmark. And this is based on real purchases and returns. And what we ended up doing is we evaluate 124 brands and there are 286 capabilities. It's almost like a full, uh, you know, triathlon. Honestly, it's like, okay, so so what do you do to address the consumers today from search and discovery mm. to payment and checkout to uh, promising and fulfillment and post-purchase customer mm. service? So right. it turns out the 186 capabilities that are involved with that. So that's what we ended up doing. And we think something like this, honestly, not not a retailer can do this with this kind of resources and, and, you know, investment required, let alone not just doing this for themselves, but do the same thing for 123 other brands, Mm -hmm. most likely not. So this is really what triggered this whole benchmark. Got it. Now, and I'm curious too, because, you know, we've in our, we've been at this a long time. I think this is our sixth year of doing this. And, you know, we've heard this talked about a lot. So I'm going to put you on the spot here with your peers. I'm going to go to Amy first. Like, should we be buying into what Anne is saying here? What what really makes this survey different? Like what sets it apart, Amy? Why is this different yeah. than what we've seen before? You should be buying into okay. what Anne is telling you. So um, what makes it different? I mean, Anne covered a lot of the a lot of the details on it, but what that ends up being is an incredibly thorough 
and very broad uh, set of use cases that the study assesses. And it's assessing at from end-to-end -end capabilities. So each of those 286 capabilities weren't just measured as like, hey, yes, they're doing it, or no, they're not doing it. Um, we actually shopped and returned and exchanged and really experienced what the customer experience is. And for each physical in-store capability, we sent a team out three times to three different locations to try to eliminate any anomalies. Mm. The online capabilities, we assessed them five times uh, or five different times. Uh, and the result is that this really delivers specifics for retailers to identify where the gaps are and where they're excelling at continuing to drive differentiation. And so the short answer is yes, you should buy into what Anne is talking about. And it's all about the specificity of the report. Got it. Got it. Okay. So Rob, I'm guessing you're going to concur with your other two panelists here, but what, what's your, what's your two cents here as well? The peer pressure is immense, but it's not, <laughs> it's not why I'm going to say what I'm about to say. Um, you, you, when you asked the question, you said the word survey, right? Yeah. And I think there's a big difference between surveys, which ask mm. people their opinion. Good question. Good I think point. this is more of a study and it's yeah. more yeah. through an experiential benchmark of mm -hmm. reality, at least reality as was experienced online and offline, you know, in store and, and not purchase and return, right? Yeah. And I think it's that dose of external reality um, that is consistent across brands um, and looking across channels and different parts of the customer journey that makes this really unique. And I say that at, at Zebra because we've been doing a, a global shopper study for 15 years. Uh, there's a lot of people that have an annual shopper study. Um, ours is unique. It's 15 years. We're the only ones that actually look at shopper behavior and expectations, retail decision makers point of view, and the point of view of frontline associates. So it's pretty unique. But even then, you're asking people their opinion. And by having this vote version of experiential reality based on this study, you're not just looking at did a capability exist or did it not? You're evaluating the quality of that capability as well. And some of these capabilities are seen as table stakes, where others are truly places where brands can differentiate themselves. So I think it kind of builds upon a lot of the themes and things that we saw recently within our annual shopper study at Zebra, but it provides a little bit more around the quality and a little bit more around the reality rather than opinion that makes us really unique. Got it. So, Anne, they're all in lockstep with you. That's pretty impressive. Any, any know, final I, words or anything you want to add before we get into the get into the actual uh, benchmarking? Well, I would invite the retailer to read this because it is a lot of learning. But I have to say, as with any benchmark, it's like running a race. There is a natural tiering that take place. Mm. So the retailers, the 124 that we looked at. By the way, nobody's perfect. You could be really strong on search and discovery, but you're not so hot on customer service. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what we realize is that, you know, the, the world of 124 retailer kind of divided into four rating categories, mm. very naturally, the laggers, the followers, mm -hmm. the challengers, and the leaders. So I think we're going to talk about them uh, for the rest of your conversation here in terms of what makes them different. Absolutely. Got to love yeah, that. And if I could just, just add one point on that too, I think, um, there was a quote, I don't remember who I heard it from or where it was, but I really like it. And it's that um, if you're about to do a pretty significant transformation initiative, mm -hmm. the single biggest point of failure for why transformation initiatives aren't successful 
isn't a lack of common vision of where you need to go in the future. Mm. It's a true understanding of where you are right now. Yeah. And so what's really powerful about this type of, of study is it does give you that view of where are you right now? And maybe you're a laggard, maybe you're a leader, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, maybe you've got strength in one area, but you're weak in others. It's that dose of reality that can help retailers wherever they are in their journey to be more successful in the future on their transformation. Because one thing is unquestionable, right? Like retail is going to continue to transform and you have to have a playbook on where you're going and you have to start with where you are right now. Yeah. I love that. This is an That's audit okay. that like you didn't have to commission as a retailer. Like, can you imagine <laughs> yeah. back in our retailer days being like, and we'd be like a independent audit for right. these four companies. Like it's right. great. Yeah. It, it, I think you're absolutely right, Rob. It's giving you this picture of like, yeah. we think we're here, but yeah. we're actually here. Well, I love yeah. Rob's quote because it's so applicable to everything in life. Like you could apply that to a marriage, you know, oh, like, God. Hey, let's not even talk about the future. We got a lot of what's going on right now yeah. here today. Oh, right. No. Like, Oh my God. I didn't realize um, we were doing counseling. I didn't know either, right but now. hey, wait. You just Good. add that. Go, go easy so on that one. We don't want to benchmark our spouses. <laughs> yeah, right. No, right. We don't want okay. to scare people off. <laughs> no. All right. But welcome to OmniTalk. All yeah. right. Well, okay. The One of the most important things that is is so top of mind for a lot of retailers and brands out there right now, too, is how to attack this next generation, how to really make sure that you're perfecting these experiences for a generation that grew up with, you know, iPhones that grew up online with, with, um, online shopping. And one of the particular, um, captivating moments that you mentioned in this report is that a third of the U S population is now younger than Amazon, which I found so unbelievable, crazy. like just astounding Rob, what, given what you just said, like, what do you take away from that fact? Like, what should people listening, once they figure out where they are, like, what do they, what's the big takeaway for them and what actions should they be taking? Yeah, I mean, if that blew your mind, they'll blow your mind even a little bit more. So oh, it's okay. actually over half of the US population is now either millennial, Gen Z, or Gen Alpha. Hmm. And by 2025, Jeez, yeah. which is like a year and a half, it's like 18 months away, over 60% of the US workforce will be millennial or Gen Z. Oh, wow. Right. Like how these people and I am one of them. Right. I am them. <laughs> I am what's called the geriatric millennial. It's a real thing. <laughs> Look it up. Oh, I think I'm but, I think you are too. And yeah. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to out you. But yes. Yeah. Right. No, no. Okay. It, it's, it's a thing. Um, Thanks, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> You're but, just a day brightener. How, <laughs> how, how we shop. Right. How we engage with brands. What we expect from people when we go into a store. Over the 15 years of doing the shopper study, about 30% of shoppers 15 years ago said they were satisfied with their experience engaging with associates in stores. Mm -hmm. This past year, we did that same question. We've been tracking for 15, 15 years. It's almost 80%. So retail has come a long way, right? Shoppers are in general more satisfied. Mm. But when you're a geriatric millennial, when you're digitally native, when you're digital first, right? Like your expectations are different and they're constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. And retailers are trying to keep up, right? They're just trying to keep up constantly with, you know, this idea of, of digital by default, right? Like mm -hmm. that is where the market is going, not just on the shopper and the customer side, right. but it's also in terms of your frontline workforce within retail operations. Well, and, and the amount of pressure that puts on retailers is gonna be right. really significant. 
Right. Especially when it's not just you benchmarking yourself against your closest competitor like you once did. It's really benchmarking yourself of what is available in the universe of a digitally native individual. Yeah. Like it's not just competitors. It's like, oh, Amazon set the standard for what our expectations are for customer service or for being able to return something or, you know, when I should expect somebody to show up at my house. Like all of these things are setting different tones for what that, that digitally native consumer. Yeah, and, and if I'm a, if I'm a shopper, whether yeah. I'm engaging with you on a Monday or a Tuesday in store one or store 300, if I'm online or offline, I want it to be on my terms, mm-hmm. right? But how does a retailer scale to that level of personalization? And at the same time, consistency of experience across all those different channels and all those different sites. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody this morning about, you know, bringing Omnichannel into the Web3 or the metaverse arena, you know, by way of Roblox. And that's, you know, part of this conversation too, ultimately down the road. But Anne, I want to go back to you now too, because one other very compelling point that gets brought up in the report, and I think this probably you know, goes back to what you're saying about the classifications, the laggards and the leaders as well. There's an, a real impact that you saw in terms of retailer revenue, in terms of how people were positioned across this benchmark study. Uh, talk to us about that as well. Well, we're not geeking out on the benchmark just for the heck of it. Okay. At the end of the day, <laughs> Dollars and cents. We're still, cash is king. We're still in a capitalism society here. So it's all about the business outcomes, right? So what we ended up doing is, you remember 124 brands, only 15 were recognized as the overall leader, right? Okay. So we took that cohort. Then we look at how well do they do in terms of revenue growth compared to laggers, followers, and challengers. And here's what we found. Hmm. Compared to, let's say, the challenger they actually outperform on revenue growth anywhere from three times and i don't mean like three times more to six times more than the laggers Mm -hmm. that's huge if you translate that into kager right right and we found out if you simply move from a challenger to a leader position you can bring significant impact to their bottom line. As a matter of fact, if you were a specialty retailer, you're currently rated a challenger. So, you know, not the bottom, but you Mm -hmm. know, the top half, right? But if you move to the leader position, you stand to gain 40 million per billion in revenue dollars annually by simply improving your maturity to a leader. So if you look at how thin the margins are, be able to do 40 million extra per billion. That's straight to the bottom line. So it is significant. And there's a reason why we're doing this because at the end of the day, the business outcome is growth and profitable growth. Yeah, and the number one answer to everything always comes back. We say it on our show all the time, man. We said it last week, is money. Yes. It always comes back to money. That's why we're all here. Well, I want to double click into some of the subcategories that were analyzed as well. And I want to start with search and discovery. And Amy, I'm so glad that you are with us today because this seems like it's right in your wheelhouse. But what stood out to you there? Yeah, um, thank you. It's uh, I think. When we go to that leader group that Ann talked about, when you look at the leaders, um, what we saw is that they stood out with search and discovery. Um, they, they, those that are really good at, um, are good at search and discovery. And what makes their search and discovery hmm. so good is that they excelled at understanding the broader context that that shopper 
is operating in. They understood their shopping intent. They can assist them through some like, deeply contextual search and recommendations. And similarly in the store, give them guided assistance. So what does this mean specifically? It's yeah. understanding like what someone means when they say, I mean, listen, what, what someone means when they say context. And it's really like, what do you mean when you say? Like, what do you mean when you say X, Y, Z? Um, a great example of that at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, what do you mean when you say face mask? Prior to the mm. pandemic, I meant a beauty treatment. Mm. The minute the pandemic hit, I actually meant a like N95 mask. Um, right. And so understanding what that shopper really um, is trying to communicate. Um, and so that's a really important part of, of kind of, of understanding the shopper and being able to deliver to them a really good uh, search experience. I'll give you a few other kind of data points. Like when we looked at the data, 80% of the leaders in this category offer filters. Mm -hmm. So you can filter by fulfillment method. So, uh, so I understand like of this product that I'm looking at, I'm gonna filter by fulfillment me method. I'm gonna understand exactly when it's gonna arrive or how I can pick it up. And so that context is really important to customers or 60% offered real-time inventory visibility. I'm gonna look it up and I'm gonna understand, is this actually in stock? Is it in stock at my local store? Like those are important factors for consumers when they're looking at, uh, when they're looking at the products that come up in search. And, and um, why, why is that? Is it because, is because that's a pre-purchase decision for most of the consumers? Like, is that, it's that far up in the funnel now? You're giving them as much information as you possibly can about that product so that they can make an informed decision. So I'm, I am, I'm researching it. You're making it as easy as on them as possible. I think is kind of really the end, the end, uh, like why they're doing that. And we recently announced, uh, a new Google Merchant Center integration with Manhattan Active Omni, which enables retailers to do exactly this, provide kind of more accurate information about location and product specific delivery times across all of Google surfaces. So not only can you do this on your own site, you understand what the inventory is, but with, with this integration, if I'm looking up a search on Google itself, that information oh, wow. is surfaced. Is, so it really gives the, the gives the, the shopper all the information they need to make a really a good decision, an informed decision. That's the next kind of like, cool. besides all that information is making sure it's personalized and relevant to you. So we know consumers care deeply about personalization. They wanna make sure that they're getting the right product, they're getting the right experience. And so those that do it well offer very personalized, personalized search. And that doesn't necessarily extend to product. It can also extend to like, are you offering the right content to them? Are you offering the right offers to them? It's a, it's a great use of AI that really improves the end customer experience. Right. That's, a, that's a, what I was just going to say too, Amy, like it makes so much sense then why we've heard over the course of the last few months, this interest in retailers investing in AI to help bolster the search and discovery components yeah. that you were just talking right. about. Right. Yeah, it's hard so no to do personalization at scale and you, you, you need AI to do that. Yes. Right. And there's so many elements that you have to personalize on, on top of that too, which is the other key point you're bringing up too, Amy. All right, well, let's go to the next, the next category, which is probably my personal favorite one. And I oh. think, yeah, I think it is. Cause you know, okay. back to my e-commerce days. Okay. I always used to hate when people would add to the cart and wouldn't check out. It used to frustrate me like no, nobody's business. So so let's go to cart and check out Rob. Let's go back to you for this one. What's your, what's your thoughts there? Well, yeah, I think with cart and checkout, you know, is it a physical cart? Is it physical right. checkout? Is it a, 
you know, digital cart, and then you're going to check out physically in the store, right? So that Mm kind of makes this one of my favorites too. I don't know if like we're picking favorite children or whatever, but like I think all four are important, but um, this is one that, you know, I'm really passionate about. Actually at uh, NRF earlier this year, we introduced what we call the modern store by Zebra, which is really a, a framework that's meant to help retailers kind of look at their operations and decide how to modernize in order to engage associates, optimize inventory, and ultimately elevate the customer experience. And like those three things come together so well when you come to cart and checkout. Mm-hmm. And this is where some of the things that we're doing together now with Manhattan around like mobility, new software capabilities. It could be in the hands of frontline workers. It could be the hands of the shoppers themselves. Self-checkout stations within uh, your physical retail stores, having all that connect into your online presence, right? If I'm going to order something to work on my house, I want to go place an order and then pick it up and have a seamless checkout experience when I go to get that on the weekend, right? So new things like RFID, machine vision, new technologies all coming together with Manhattan to remove friction, to elevate the customer experience across cart and checkout, whether it's physical or digital, right, are really unique ways to set yourself apart and critical to that is the ability to have visibility into your inventory, whether that's in a DC or it's within one of your stores. And that's where some of the partnership between Zebra and Manhattan has been so valuable in enhancing the capabilities of retailers in this particular area. Yeah. And Rob, I was going to ask you about that too, because that there's a key point you brought up there. Like, and I remember seeing that at NRF and it, I thought it was one of the coolest things that, that we personally saw at yeah. the show was the connection of RFID to checkout, right? That that's a new thing. Like you've had RFID for inventory invisibility yeah. since the cows came home, but like making it a, 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 an element of the checkout process is really new and really unique, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's not necessarily every type of good or every segment of right. retail, but we are seeing it happen quite a bit more. And if you think about it, if I'm a retailer and someone places an order with me online. I probably have more information about what that person actually bought, style, color, size, color, all those things, than if I just scan a barcode as they're walking out the store, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do I enrich, how do I get more mm-hmm. data, the same type of data visibility that I get from my online commerce, how do I get just as much for the consumers who are sp- spending their money, spending their time, literally walking into my physical store, why would I want to have blind spots, right? Mm -hmm. And again, it's not every piece of of equipment. It's not every particular good, but that data, having more granularity, more detail helps then feed into all of your analytics and everything else you're going to do in order to optimize your retail operation. Right. Where the garment's going in the store, even like my mind starts to go crazy on that front. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Explains why we've seen a lot of Can I ask something? Yeah, my RFID with with Rob's with Zebra is the find option. I used to work in the department store in high school. Yeah. You want to go find that stuffy animal right. or a piece of clothing, especially worker children's department. They're tiny little things, right? Yes. They people put them everywhere. I love the fact that you can find it, so I don't spend half of my time counting and hunting stuff down. 
Right. I love that, that one. That was the other element, right? That you guys released too, where it was like almost like a metal detector kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like Geiger counter, like, water like, stick, whatever you want to call do, it. Do, do, do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just get cl- instead of, you know, climbing up to the third rack, the third right. level and of hoping the rack, it's there. And hoping that, yeah. you know, that blazer in size four is up there so you could save the sale and then it's not there. Yeah. I might, I might have some experience yeah. at the old uh, J. Crew, old J. Back, Crew in back in the day, yeah. not finding that thing that was supposed to be where it was. But, um, and I want to go back to you. Um, I want to talk about the next category, which was promising and fulfillment. We had Chris yeah. Shaw on the podcast, like back during the pandemic. And I still remember just the light bulb moment that we had with him talking about like moving, promising and fulfillment up in the, the, like the beginning of the funnel so that that was determining where you made your purchase decisions. What did you find out, um, in this, in this latest study? We found that inventory visibility is like love. <laughs> the more you get deeper than marriage now, I mean, we're yeah, in love. it really is. Cause shoppers, you know, they're, you know, we used to say, you know, cut down one click, cut down one click. There are many clicks being cut down. They want to see information right from the get-go, right? Including when can I have it? Is there one near me? And if I need it, like, you know, furniture, I need it on Saturday because I'm giving a dinner party. Can you accurately promise me I'll get this table by Thursday? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have time to like, you know, if I have to assemble it or something like that, right? So what we realizing the whole concept of inventory visibility, location, delivery and pickup options, you know, and what's available to me, ship to my home, ship to the nearby store or BOPAs, and that cuts across pre-order, back order. It's all about my, my product. Where is it? And can you promise me on delivery accuracy? So what we found out with this particular benchmark is that, I hate to say this, this is the one child of the four children <laughs> that requires a lot of love. Right. Um, it's right. the least mature of them all. Mm-hmm. And that the leaders are eight times more likely to show the delivery date with the fulfillment option, like what Amy was describing. Right. They're eight times more to be able to show that information in the cart than a non-leader. And then when it comes to what delivery options are available to me, right? Including mm-hmm. break out my order. So each item has a separate delivery and fulfillment option. Give me that choice. They're twice as likely to offer that mixed delivery option than non-leaders. So I think we all know shoppers are demanding. Um, the benchmark shows 77% of the shoppers want to have delivery option based on speed, costs, and my channel of delivery. But only 38% of the retailers provide that information and that capability today. So 77%, hmm. 38%. We got a gap. Okay. Um, so it, it the whole thing about not just showing that information early on in the buyer's journey, but accuracy is now the name of the game. You gotta be able to do this accurately because if you failed on that delivery day, the bad will that can incur. My dinner party without a table will be really difficult to cut off, yeah. to, to pull off, right? Yeah. So you have to do it, not just check the box, like what Rob was saying. It's not a checkbox thing. Is can you do it well? Right. It's nuanced. 
you yeah, do well. The, cons- the consumers expect that. I mean, Amazon's trained us to expect that it's going to be there when they say it's going to be there and the ill will that you have towards any other specialty retailer or anyone else when it's not there is so much stronger now and that doesn't arrive on time. So yeah. 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 Okay, and that's- so I'm going to give you guys a new one to chew on this time. There's a new one popping up in this category called the regret window. The regret window. Okay. The regret window because we are allowed to change our mind. Sometimes when you push the buy now button, it's done. You can't change it anymore. Mm -hmm. So a lot of buyers basically are saying, hey, I would like to change the color. I would like to change the size. I would like to change where I receive my product. Mm -hmm. Give me that longer window that I can change it. So I don't sit here, wait for the thing to come to me, then I already know I'm going back and dropping it off for returns, Mm -hmm. right? There's a huge thing about give me that window. So it's not just visibility, it's not control. Yeah. Interesting. That's a key point. That's the muscle memory in this space that is really just not used across the industry yet, right, Ann? I mean, these are the types of things you're talking about that really separate the haves from the have nots here yeah, in make- terms of focusing on this particular area and it driving the value that you're describing, right, Ann? Yep, absolutely. The, the uh- game doesn't stop. It keeps getting harder. Yep. Yeah, and if you have that same capability and you're buying airline tickets or a hotel, that's a digital channel. Right. If, if I get that Good there, why point. wouldn't I get it from brick and mortar retail or someone yeah. else, right? Like the, these lines between industries are disappearing and consumers expect that hyper-personalized control in the palm of literally the palm of my hand at every moment throughout the customer journey until it's done, done. And even when I hit the button and you thought it was done, it's not really done until I say so. Yeah. That's a great reference point. Cause yeah, you're spending 200 bucks on a hotel room. You can change it to the last minute, but here, once you click, once you click buy on that item, no, oh, you're not changing it, you know, but the best of the best are, I remember in Moh- at Manhattan momentum conference last year, I heard the uh, gentleman from Belk speak about that capability and I posted about it and it was like my most oh, yeah. read post from the entire event. Right. Say more about that. Right, right. He, he basically Belk let them change their mind up to the the time that merchandise loaded onto that last mile delivery. Mm-hmm. So you can change your order, change your size, change your delivery uh, options, and you just cut down on a lot. But the thing is to do that, the commerce side of your house need to talk to the supply chain of the house mm-hmm. because the only way you can stop that merchandise of not being loaded onto a truck is if you know where it is in the fulfillment cycle. So if you have no visibility into fulfillment, you don't know that, you know, red sweater is literally in the yard ready to be loaded perhaps, but it's not yet loaded. So you can still change their mind and not, you know, pick it and load it, right? Mm -hmm. So, So now we're seeing this marriage of supply and demand and you kind of need both. Yeah. So, yeah, so Belk does that beautifully. Yeah. And those systems have to be able to talk to each other as close to real time as possible. That's, that's the key piece here too. All right, Amy, let's close this out with the last category. Let's go back to you for this one, which is service and support. What were your big takeaways from that? Well, um, I mean, you always hope that you've done everything right and no one needs service and support, but that's just not reality. And the leaders in this space really stand out by delivering 
frictionless experiences, easy experiences, but also high touch personalized service and authentic interactions that shoppers are asking for, all without getting in their way, like I said, frictionless. Um, so that theme of personalization comes back even to service and support. Uh, the benchmark revealed that only about 15% of shoppers say that retailers offer them a personalized service experience. So there's definitely a huge opportunity, a huge gap. So um, as retailers, you need to offer a wide variety of self-service and full service options. That includes being able to interact via text, in-store assistance, call centers, social media support, and even live agents. So what we found, especially with millennials and, and Gen Z and some surveys that we did, uh, like, you know, that we talk about that I think are great compliments to this in terms of what the findings are totally aligned is that that younger generation wants to be able to do things on their own. But when they say like, hey, I want help, they want it right away. And so I, and I think that that comes through loud and clear in what we're seeing here. Um, so that having that variety of ways that you can interact is really critical. Um, and so, and I would also point to like all of the all of the conversation about generative AI fits right in here because you can see consumers mm. really engaging with intuitive interactions, conversational interactions, and that fits right into offering very personalized, great service. Um, you know, they want, they don't need the human intervention, but they need to have a really high quality interaction. They need to be able to summarize conversations. They want to be able to automate more tasks. And so that all fits right in with this. And it's certainly something that, that we are working on. Yeah, that makes sense. And any points you'd add on this category? Oh, this is another challenge. I think shoppers are pushing retailer to extremes. Hmm. So one extreme says, don't talk to me, give me digital self-service, just leave hmm. me alone, mm -hmm. right? So Rob's company, Zebra, does a beautiful job. You know, Target, you can self-service everything, self-checkout, self-everything, right? But on the other end, they're saying, well, sometimes I want high-touch, personalized concierge service. It all depends on where they are, what their needs are, and what's most convenient to them. So the retailers have to deal with this jackal and hide. And how do you balance that, right? I think we can start by having technology that give you 360 degree view of the customers, their omni-channel buying history, so that if they want concierge, high touch, your sales associates in the store, honestly in contact center as well, they should be able to pull up the information, do that personalized service so it's efficient and still give them a chance you know, people come to store for a reason. They want human interaction. They, they want human empathy, right? So let your sales associates and empower them be able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So here's what we found. For the digital self-service, the one says, leave me alone, let me do my own things, right? Mm -hmm. The leaders in this case are twice as likely than non-leaders to provide the following. 24 by seven live chat. Return tracking capability, mm. product customization, and personalization. And then more than half of the leaders have real-time order alerts, notifications, so that you really empower that need for digital self-service. They mm -hmm. want to know where things are at any given point in time. The non-leaders, less than a third of them offer that. Mm -hmm. And for the high-touch concierge side of the business, it's interesting, 91% mm -hmm. of the leader, the 15 that we found, 
um, actually empower their store associate to do, you know, they can like look up Chris or Ann, your online purchase history in store. 91% can do that. The non-leaders, only 67% of them mm. can do that. And that they also give the store's associate the ability to create, manage your online wish list, your lookbook in the store right there. Wow. And most of the non-leaders cannot do that. So I think this is where, you know, this juxtaposition, um, the only way you're going to be able to ante up the right mold of customer service is by knowing them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then you can have that, you know, flexibility to serve them. They want to be served. So we want our cake and eat it too. And the retailers need to be able to do that as well. I think what's so fascinating about yeah. this survey is not just the consumer facing implications that the leaders have ha have made, but just, and you were just talking about, you know, like real-time order alerts, like that has tons of benefits getting back to what Rob was saying too, about visibility throughout the delivery time frame, like on the associate side, like there's investing in this is not just about the consumer facing benefits. It's really investing in that for, and all of the, the backend things that make the store associates life better too. Well, that's what's really cool about this topic is because yeah. when you're talking truly omni-channel system design and technology integration, like all those pieces are bleeding together mm -hmm. to create that all the time for the consumer, right? right? At the end of the day, that's what's so interesting about right. this. Yeah. I love this. And, and the labor market continues to be constrained. So if you're a retailer and you're trying to compete for talent, if you want to provide a personalized, consistent customer experience for shoppers, when they do come into your store, you need to have a front line that is enabled and engaged and excited and empowered and has all that information at their fingertips. Because otherwise they're operating with less information than their shoppers are. And it doesn't matter how much you pay that frontline associate, consistently right. feeling like you kind of have one hand tied behind your back and you aren't working with the best information, you're not going to be at your best, right? And that's going to make operating in a high pressure, dynamic retail environment even more challenging. Well, if I can add one thing, yeah, you yeah see sure. The smile the smiles on the sales associates face. When we talk about endless aisle, save the sale, we don't quite get that. What this means that a sales associate get credit, right? For what they sell in store. But there's a whole endless aisle, right? That's available if they can be informed of inventory availability in nearby stores or in the DCs. When they know that they can save a sale and by go, oh, I don't have that skirt right now in that size. But by the way, I can get it for you. That saved the sale. So the compensation structure might change. Mm -hmm. But we just came out of Momentum 2023, our annual user conference. I can tell you the Pack Sons of the World, the group Dynamite, they're the Canadian, you know, they're mm -hmm. a bunch of stores. That's what they allow their sales associate to do. So the satisfaction mm -hmm. <laughs> of mm -hmm. be able to serve a customer you know what I'm saying? Not just what's mm -hmm. available in the store, but endless aisle is like huge. It's empowering. Right. Yeah. Well, our, yeah. Our annual shopper studies show that about 80% of frontline workers right now in retail are at least partially basing the decisions about where they work, where they choose to continue to decide to continue to, to work based on the amount of technology that they are equipped with for performing their day in, day out job every day. Yeah. It, even is, the, it cannot even be ignored. Even us geriatric millennials. Yeah. Um, yes, I want to get. We're you... small but mighty and growing. That's right. That's right. I want to get the rest of you 
out of here on these two final questions. First question is, what surprised you the most about the the research? Uh, Amy, I'm going to go to you first. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, I'll, looking at the research, it, personalization is one of my favorite topics in retail. Like long history in retail and personalization has been a, a common, a constant theme, I should say. And there's still so much opportunity. I think I am, my surprise was how much opportunity there is on things that actually are, are you know, fairly, fairly easy to implement. So mm-hmm. one of the data points there was that 50% of leaders had personalized recommendations on the homepage. Okay, that's a great opportunity top of funnel to get recommendations and, and drive personalization with your consumers. Of the non leaders, only 20% had uh, personalized recommendations on the homepage. So that's definitely an opportunity for that retailers can focus on for just some top of the funnel engagement in a very personalized and relevant way. Um, and the other thing I, the other opportunity within personalization was on chat support. We talked about this as well. Like, how do you use that customer data to deliver a really personalized experience that makes that service and support interaction feel more frictionless, easier, more intuitive? And so I think that's another big opportunity. And what about you? Oh, by far, how immature promising fulfillment as a category mm-hmm. is. And that uh, you can be the best, you know, merchant there is, but if you don't have visibility into the location of your goods or be able to promise the delivery of the good, turned out is becoming a hindrance. And so that was, I kind of knew, but I was really surprised by the yeah. degree of it. Yeah. 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 Rob, close us out on this first one. What yeah. surprised you the most? Unified cart. So of the 124 mm-hmm. brands profiled, not a single one has truly achieved yet a unified cart. Now there's some that are further ahead than others, but there's pretty significant gaps. And what this means to me is that there's significant opportunity for brands to differentiate themselves by truly achieving that unified cart. The world is your oyster, right? There's a lot of room to run and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how everyone attacks this opportunity a little bit differently. Right. Well, my next question is, what are some things that set the leaders apart? Like, what were some standout things for for you all? Um, And let's go to you first. Uh, Again, it's not a checkbox exercise and you list the 286 capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do Mm -hmm. it. I do it. It's not that. It's how well you do it. That's the reason why we did Mm. eight shopping trips, three in store, suburb, and then five online. Uh, it's nuance is there's a gradation of how well you do it. So, you know, don't rest on your laurel just because you think you have that capability, right? You really have to benchmark yourself to, to realize that how well do you do it? There's always a different trick to doing it more efficiently. So I think that's what I learned that, uh, you kind of have to constantly baseline yourself and, yeah, and how do you keep it. doing it. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rob, how about you? Well, I mean, I'm a professional marketer. And so I was actually quite pleased to see that there's a lot of strong brands within the leader group, right? And they're not just, you know, good at unified commerce. They're good at customer centricity. And I think they made a decision early on that that's a brand level attribute that runs true and runs deep. And I don't know how many of them actually came out with a strategy said, we're going to be really great at unified commerce. Versus they said, hey, we're going to be really great at customer centricity. Hmm. And 
to make that happen today, you need to have unified commerce capabilities, mm-hmm. right? So just the, the foresight and the strength that these brands are known for not just what they sell and what they provide to their customers, but they have a consistent experience that they're looking to constantly make better for their customers. And that customers come to those brands, not just because of what they sell, but because of that experience, right? Like more now than ever, the experience is everything. And what we know is customers expect it to be on their terms always. Mm -hmm. Again, whether you're at store one or store 300, online, on an app, midnight, 2 a.m., whatever, right? Like having a strong brand strategy and living that through in terms of day-to-day execution, because that's how your brand is going to be evaluated by today's shoppers, I think is uh, is really critical. And I have to give a plug, a lot of the leaders are existing Zebra customers, so I was excited <laughs> to see that too. That, I bet, I bet. That doesn't hurt, right? No. They eat those. Yes. Nope. All right, Amy, take us home. What What stood out for you? What are the leaders doing that the rest of us aren't? Well, I mean, I know this, it, it's... It sounds a little funny here, but the leaders are getting the basics right. Like the leaders are really focused on making sure that every element of the value chain is executed as well as they can. And that means a relentless focus on the basics. In addition to a relentless focus on the customer, which Rob already mentioned, but it's it's truly about getting the basics right. And so, um, you know, how can you look at experiences like like search, like recommendations, like the promise date and the fulfillment, and really make sure that you're um, you're delivering to the customer the the most accurate answer to whatever question that they're asking, and making that as visible as possible on the site, whether that's inventory or when the package will actually get delivered. Um, it's it's critical, and it sounds it sounds uh, you know like counterintuitive that a leader would be thinking about the basics, but I truly believe that to be true. It's we, a great, it's we would a, hope. Yeah. It's a great point to end on though. Like, you know, as retail executives are listening to this conversation and potentially going and reading the report and saying, okay, where do I want to focus? It's probably a good idea just to go through and say, Hey, what are some basic expectations that we all in this boardroom think that we should offer our customers? And let's start there. That's probably a good way to go about this. So to that point, and I'm curious if people want to get the complete benchmark and the list of uni- of leading unified commerce leaders, uh, where should they go? Uh, it's very simple. So write that down, retailbenchmark.manh.com. And I hope you'll show that URL at the bottom of the screen at some point. But you can get over there, get the complete benchmark, what the 286 attributes are, what the leaders do well. You know, this is how we learn by studying the best. Yes. Awesome. So again, that's retailbenchmark.manh.com. We'll have that address in our show notes as well. So everyone can read this really great report. There's a lot to glean from it. Anne and I've read it a few times ourselves. All right. Well, thank you guys. That was wonderful. And Amy and Rob, that wraps us up today. Thanks for sitting down with us and to all of you out there watching as always. And on behalf of all of us at OmniTalk, be careful out there. <laughs>